with a special target or focus on Hindus and Muslims for reasons he, he may explain. It's actually easier in some cases to connect with those people in that context. Mike's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, my personal favorite seminary, THM. And Mike's just a, a faithful, um, joyous uh, believer and I really appreciate people who uh, commit to something and show great loyalty and perseverance. I think that's a real mark of the Spirit in their lives. And uh, he's very clear on the gospel and loves the Lord. And I was kidding him. He's kind of an associate member here because he's been serving over there for well over 20 years. And every three or four years when he gets six months off to revisit some of his supporters, see his family, he's uh, made an extra effort to get all the way to Duncan, America, which isn't always easy to get to. And so we, we see Mike regularly. So for many of you, you've seen him before and you prayed for him. And also, let me mention before he comes up here, um, let me make an executive decision. Uh, you know, during second hour, after Mike finishes the message, he's going to share from the word and also about his ministry. We'll have like a 15 minute fellowship break or so. And then, you know, we'll have a uh, open sharing time and prayer time in here. Let's let Mike do question and answer and, and follow up in any way he'd like to at the initial phases of that second hour sharing and prayer time. And we'll have the young adult class just meet in here uh, with that group so we can get more access to, to Mike. So, Mike, we're happy you're here. Okay. So, good morning. It's good to be here. Uh, why don't we start off with a word of prayer. Father, we do just uh, thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in Duncan. And, Lord, just to worship uh, corporately. We... Uh, we just thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for your love for all peoples. And uh, again, we thank you for your word, and I pray you would uh, just give us this morning a, a soft heart so that we would apply your word in our lives. We thank you again for what you're doing also in Holland and, and in Duncan and all over the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to share a few things about uh, Holland, and then uh, we'll, we'll uh, look at God's word together. This is a very apropos, uh, the, the brother shared from uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. That was, that was good. But go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, the command here is to make disciples, and we do that in three ways, by going, baptizing, and teaching. We're baptizing those that come to know the Lord and teaching those, of course, uh, that uh, to bring them to maturity. And if we look at uh, Mark and Luke, he tells about he talks about proclaiming the gospel. And if we look at uh, the Book of Acts, we see that Paul was planting churches. So uh, that's a very when we think about our task in missions, that's it. We're making disciples, and that's in the context of planting a church or or. Uh, uh, building up uh, an existing church, something like that. But it's always in the church. Uh, and we got this, uh, this is just a nice quote. This man was uh, in uh, India for uh, more than 20 years. And missionaries reached their prime on the mission field after about 20 years. But after 20 years, there are a few missionaries left. For the least reach to reach, to be reached, it takes learning language, putting our roots down, loving people, giving of ourselves to reach them, and going for the long haul. This is particularly important when it comes to unreached peoples. 
there's a lot of things going on. If you like in Africa right now, sixteen thousand people a day are coming to Christ. That's uh, and also that's also true in Latin America. And there are some there's some incredible things going on around the world, but you don't hear about that kind of stuff with unreached peoples, <laughs> Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. There's never sixteen thousand people a day coming to Christ. It just doesn't happen. There are some good things going on, like in Indonesia, there's uh, a, actually a bit of a revival going on there. There are a lot of people coming to Christ there. They're kind of a nominal Muslims. And among the Iranians, uh, there's a lot of uh, Iranians coming to know the Lord. Uh, we have a joke at our mission, who's led more people to Christ, who's led more Muslims to Christ than anyone? Ayatollah Khomeini. <laughs> because because of his you know regime, I, people were so turned off to Islam, so... Praise God that he used that. And there was a time there when they weren't receptive, but I just was speaking with some people that uh, work in Turkey, and they were saying that there's a really strong Iranian churches there in Turkey. You know, people have been displaced, and and they're hoping that they'll uh, God will use them to reach the people in Turkey because they're not quite as open to the, to the gospel. But most of all, or mostly when you think about unreached peoples, they're... You're not going to hear ever 16,000 people a day coming across. It's not normal. It's one at a time. It's very slow. It takes about 20 years to plant a church, usually. And if we look at the the world, our uh, Chris Dar's uh, committed to unreached peoples, Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. And there's uh, 1.57 billion uh, Muslims, a billion Hindus, and 400 million uh, Buddhists. And if you add uh, China in that, in this 1040 window, you're talking about 4 billion people. So that actually have not heard the gospel or at least uh, don't have access to uh, a church in their language and their culture sharing with them. And so that's uh, Chris Starr's uh, vision is is providing a way for these people to hear about Christ. And of course, our mission is mostly in uh, 1040 window, which is North Africa, the Middle East and Asia. But we're also in other places as well because of immigration. That's why actually, you know, missions really is everywhere. Because you can be working with unreached peoples right here in America. There's a lot of uh, Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists right here. And they're actually very friendly people for the most part. Uh, not the terrorist ones, but, you know, but most of them are nice people. But anyway, uh, I'm, I've been in Holland now for uh, 23 years. And I work in The Hague. And we're trying to do something in Rotterdam, but it just hasn't ever really uh, kind of not really getting it off the ground. But I do have some Bible studies there. I don't do anything in Amsterdam except uh, drink coffee. But if you ever come through and you want to drink some coffee, I'll meet you there. I love it there. But uh, I don't do any work there. But anyway, there are some things you think about Holland. I think most of you would think of uh, windmills and flowers and uh, canals. And they have all of those things. It's really a beautiful country to come visit. And uh, real nice people and all. And it's, it is really a nice place. Some other things you might not know about is Holland is a land of bicycles. They have more bike paths than any country in the world. They have a bike path on every major road, and it's not just like a little bit on the side there where you get run over. It's completely different with a curb, and it's fantastic. I ride my bike everywhere. Don't need a car there because I can, you know, hop on the tram if it's kind of far or whatever, but uh, that's one of the things I like best about Holland. And, of course, you ride year-round. So it gets a little cold in the winter, <laughs> but anyway, I'm not, I'm not gonna get cold real easy. So, and maybe some other things you might think of. Uh, we, uh, some people think they, had, they actually are quite famous for their cheese. I don't know if you ever have had Gouda. 
It's actually pronounced chowda. That's the way you really pronounce it, but Americans say gouda, cheese, but they have a lot of different kinds of cheese. But uh, anyway, uh, when you think of Holland, though, it's real interesting. You know, Holland at one time was reformed and, uh, you know, I would assume, what, 95% evangelical, something like that at some time in history. And uh, just through the years, actually since World War II, the agnosticism, atheism is the highest belief uh, in Holland. It's like 56, 57%. And that's just a normal thing there. What I like is uh, I actually go drink coffee uh, for about an hour, a couple hours a week, and I, where I come in contact with just Dutch people. And I just find it interesting to you know, get their, what they think about this kind of stuff. And it's really interesting because if you speak to an atheist in America, they'll want to argue with you. But if you speak with an atheist there, they just, and you go, well, have you ever thought about the evidence? No. You ever interested? No. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's just like a, it's real, I guess you'd say a nominal atheism. They're just brought up in it. And, uh, you know, that's just how they lived and they really have no interest, just like a nominal Christian has no interest in spiritual things many times. So it is with them. They don't have any real interest in what they believe. I, I think it's so weird. I st- something I still can't get my mind around because to me, I want to, whatever I believe, I want there to be evidence for it and, you know, to be true, but they don't seem to care. It's more of a, I guess, postmodern type thing, you know. But uh, theism, 17%, that would include uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. There's about 7% evangelical, which is actually good for Europe. A lot of the countries in Europe are 2% evangelical. So it really is a, it's like a, a forgotten mission field because it's, you know, Christian or Catholic. People think of it as being Christian countries, but they're really not. They're, uh, you know, mostly, I would say the vast majority are atheist agnostic. So, uh, and then that eatsism there, that's a Dutch word that just means anything else, you know, but not atheist, you know. So, and there's a lot of those, of course, just like here in America. Uh, you know, anything but Jesus. <laughs> so, Next one. And this is just a, a thing on, you know, I'm sure you've heard that song by John Lennon, Imagine There's No Heaven. Uh, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And really, uh, Holland and a lot of the places in Europe are kind of like little uh, atheist paradises in a lot of ways, you know, and uh, kind of getting disrupted in, uh, in, in recent uh, years, if you've been following what's been going on in Europe. so, But, uh, yeah. And of course, this is how a lot of atheists think. If they just got rid of all religion, everything's going to go great. But we know that doesn't work. Uh, communism certainly didn't solve that. Anyway. Uh, as far as Holland, uh, how would these Hindus get, have ever gotten to Holland? Well, in um, uh, Holland, actually, for such a small country... They had an incredible um, navy, and just their uh, exporting and importing was pretty amazing, and they had colonies all over the world, and one of them was in South America. It used to be called Dutch Guyana, now it's Suriname. It's in like the top uh, part of South America, right above French Guyana and Brazil. And about 1975, they uh, 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 Dutch Guyana got its independence and became Suriname, and so the people could choose to come to Holland or or stay in uh, or, or stay in Suriname, and about half the country came, and they just continued to come. And so after after actually the abolition of slavery, they brought in uh, 
Indians from, from India and people from China as well as uh, Indonesia and to do the sugarcane plantations and whatever. So that's where that these people came from. And it's interesting because even though they're Indians from India, they've been there 150 years. And so their culture now is Suriname. It's not Indian culture anymore. I mean, when they think about going back home, they think of going to Suriname. They don't think about going to India, never been to India. They do watch uh, Indian film, that type of thing. But, you know, they're not, uh, their culture is very much uh, like the Suriname culture, which is African, uh, Indian, Chinese, and Indonesian. And, of course, they have their own subcultures, but they have this shared culture. And that's our little church is just those four cultures. Are there, and it's it's a real they're real nice. Uh, even in in Suriname, everybody gets along. Even you know the Muslims, Hindus, they don't really have any trouble there. Real easy going people. But this is a birthday party at my neighbor's house. This is a normal thing they do. And a lot of times, you know, I someone have a birthday party and they ask me to do a devotional. I thought that's weird. You know, well, there's that where it comes from. Because <laughs> you, know, you know, a lot of times the Hindus that have the priest come and do a special blessing for them. So anyway, so. <clears throat> And just this is just one of the old, uh, you know, the Dutch churches. They have these beautiful churches that, of course, were full at one time. A lot of these uh, churches are having trouble because uh, the, the government pays for it because there's no way that the church could ever uh, subsidize these things. I mean, you know, you can't, they don't put the heat on because you look at this. How are you going to heat something like that? So people wear their coats. But a lot of times there's like 40 people in this thing, if that, and some of them, no one uh, meets at that uh church anymore but you know the dutch aren't really reaching the dutch so they're not concerned about reaching minorities or whatever so they're not going to be doing much to uh, reach hindus or muslims so uh and these just my my old uh uh co-workers they just retired great people and uh living in georgia now so and these are uh, some other co-workers of mine. We actually planted that church together. They're working with, with Muslims now in the same area. But they live right across the street, so I see them every Sunday night. <laughs> so, and this is, uh, this is our fellowship here. As you can see, everybody's just kind of either, either Indian or a little bit African or uh, Chinese or a, a mixture of Chinese, African, uh, Indian. So that's... Uh, Anyone that's from uh, Suriname will feel welcome in a church, but I think anybody feel welcome. It's just real nice people and all. So <clears throat> this is just one of the things, of course, I do is uh, share the gospel at the market. Not the best way to do evangelism, but you can't befriend everyone, right? And you got to get out some way on a mass deal. So, uh, But most of the time I try to do uh, friendship evangelism. That's the, the most important kind, of course. And... Uh, uh, and I think that's particularly true in, in Hinduism because, you know, the gospel's never communicated until the message is understood. Absolutely true. And many times it's amazing how many times uh, you have to share that because they're very smart people. But I mean, when you when every definition you have for every word, God, uh, uh, you know, a sin and everything else is completely different. Uh, they're hearing you say what, what they believe even though you're not saying that. <laughs> it's just because that's their definition for all those words. So it, it, it takes time, you know, for them to really understand what you're saying. And that's why many times it, most people don't see them come to Christ for like seven years many times when they go to a new place. It's just, uh, it's very time consuming.
this is just a Dutchman here, Hank Koning. And uh, he, uh, he's been actually coming and preaching once a month at our fellowship, which has been great. And uh, what I particularly like about Hank is he didn't go to seminary. And, and he's a really good Bible teacher. He studies really hard. We've got a nice library. And I just really like, it's actually that's what we want our men doing because we have such a small fellowship. We're never going to be able to pay somebody full time to be a pastor. And I don't want to be there forever. And so ultimately we want to have the, the elders just kind of taking turns, uh, teaching on Sunday. And, uh, it's, he's such a great example of someone being able to do that. He, he studies very hard and loves the Lord and discipleship. This guy here, Sudan, he just came to Christ uh, December 2015. We prayed for him for 15 years. His wife's been in our fellowship since the beginning. That's, in fact, all of our men essentially are husbands of women that came to Christ. And uh, so uh, but sermon's really growing. Uh been really exciting. It's meeting with them. You never know, you know, you, when someone prays to receive Christ, you're always saying, okay, hope this guy's going to keep growing. And this guy has and... He's got a uh, great attitude. He'll always ask me stuff that I was thinking about talking to him about, like, are you going to tell your parents? And he'll say, you know, I was thinking about telling my parents. And I go, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of nice when I don't have to say it. But anyway, uh, he's he's a good guy. And this is just some other people in Rotterdam I meet with. This guy just came to Christ. Londo, his wife's been a believer since Suriname. So it's just some of the men. The, the man there on the left, that's Shervin. He's uh, really kind of our acting elder in our fellowship and a very solid, mature believer. Works for the police department. He's like an assistant chief, a really sharp guy. He's only 30, but, you know, he really is more like a guy in his 40s. He's just really, really has it together. Okay. <clears throat> but this is mostly what we meet together on Wednesday nights usually. We don't always eat. This is just once in a while we go out to eat. <laughs> but... uh this is just our last baptism, 2015. If I wasn't here, we would have had uh, another baptism. We kind of do it in the summer, of course. It's a little cold in Holland, so we can't do it in the winter. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, this is just uh, these. They're not kids anymore. He's 30, but they've been coming to my house since they were little kids, and he wanted to get baptized in the ocean. So baptize him in the ocean. But anyway, <clears throat> there's just something else I do. I uh, sometimes I get asked to teach at some of these uh, schools. This is in Germany and taught on the uh, history of uh, missions, which was exciting. Loved it. Now, it's always some new subject that I don't know, and they give me five months. So I'm, you know, it's a good thing I'm single. <laughs> I just think, man, it's always really a lot of stress. But anyway, uh, but at least I once you get through it once, and then you can build on it. But this is uh, Tyndale Seminary, and that's in uh, kind of closer to Amsterdam. And uh, I teach, of course, Theology of Missions there, which has been really exciting and going to start that again in uh, January. So uh, feeling better that that was another one they gave me five months for. And I just whew, now I feel much better prepared, a little less uh, less anxiety going into it anyway. And this is just where I live. Uh, if you want to come visit me, you're welcome. <laughs> you got a place to stay as well. Anyway, uh, that's that's it. Uh, why don't we uh, open our Bibles to 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 16. 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 Let no one despise your youth, 
But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Uh, First Timothy is a real interesting uh, book because uh, Timothy's been sent there by Paul. Paul went on to Macedonia. He sends Timothy to uh, deal with a huge problem of false teaching that broke out in Ephesus. And uh, <clears throat> it's real interesting because besides all the, uh, the the teaching that we see in this book and the encouragement along that, the background is falling away. And uh, so it's it's very interesting uh, how he's warning Timothy not to fall away. And you know, not too long ago, uh, well, actually in August, uh, end of August, I went to Lafayette, Louisiana, and I was talking with one of the guys uh, there, and we got talking about falling away or something, and he said. Uh, he goes, yeah, wouldn't that be something if you came to Lafayette Bible Chapel and said, where's Eb? And they say, oh, Eb doesn't go to church anymore. He's not walking with God. <laughs> you know, and uh, it kind of hit me because that week, I just turned 60, the week before that. And I was thinking uh, just about, hey, you know, I, 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 whatever I do, you know, I want to uh, I want to finish well. And I want to um, pursue God till you know, my last breath. And, uh, you know, I had always thought that when you, when you started to get older, walking with God would be easier. I haven't found that to be true <laughs> at all. But I did ask a man at uh, Plano Bible Chapel uh, in Dallas, or in Plano, I asked him, uh, well, does it get any easier to walk with God as you get older? He's 92. And he said, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure I really believe that, but I uh, guess you got to get to be 92 to find out. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but if we look at First Timothy, it has a real interesting structure. He, uh, he, in chapters one, four, and six, he gives a, he gives a description of this false teaching. Then he exhorts him to godliness, and then he warns him about not falling away. And in chapters two, three, and five, he teaches on different issues, just the, the fellowship in general, prayer, uh, men and women and the roles, the, uh, qualifications for elders, deacons, the various age groups, uh, uh, widows, what, what's a real widow, a widow indeed. And then some additional teaching on the elders. But in chapter 4 here in the middle, he starts off in 1 through 5 and he talks about, again, he describes this false teaching. Probably the best description he gives of the, the false teaching in here. What's real interesting with all the descriptions, he doesn't really tell us exactly what it is. It's just that it's real bad and a lot of waste of time and <laughs> a lot of things like that. But he doesn't give us a whole lot of information about what they taught. I think that what they taught was much worse and much more than what we see in here. But uh, in verse 6, he, he starts off and he, he starts to exhort Timothy to live a godly life, to be a, a godly minister for uh, Jesus Christ. And he tells him to instruct the brethren in sound doctrine, reject false teaching, exercise yourself in godliness, and uh, be a faithful laborer. And he elaborates in 12 through 16, what is it to be this faithful laborer, a good minister of Jesus Christ? And so we pick up with that in verse 12. And he says, uh, let no one despise your youth. Interesting here because he says this also in Titus. And the first thing I thought was, how can I help it if someone despises me? How can I, you know, how can I keep someone else from despising me? 
But he goes on and he explains uh, that he, what he means by that is to demonstrate your maturity by your godly life. He says, don't let anyone despise or look down on your youth. And this word for youth was used for anyone who was under 40. Now, we don't usually think of someone who's uh, 39 as being a youth, <laughs> you know, but uh, they did in that time. And Timothy started working with uh, Paul on a second missionary journey during 50 to 52 uh, A.D. And uh, <clears throat> this book was written somewhere between 62 and 64, something like that. People think Timothy was probably 30 or 35, something like that, but he wasn't 40. And so Paul knew that he was sending this guy into a situation where there'd be a lot of people would think, you know, what's what's he doing sending this guy in here? You know, we got some huge problems in this fellowship. Remember, and uh, if, if you look at the, the book of Ephesians, that was written in 61 A.D., no hint of false teaching that I could see. You go through that, it's just a positive book about unity and some other issues in the in the fellowship. And Paul, in Acts 20, he met with the elders in Miletus and he warned them that some of you are going to fall away and teach false doctrine. So part of this problem was some of the elders had fallen away and were teaching whatever this false doctrine was in the fellowship. And so this was a big problem. You know, so there was guys from without, guys from within, and I, I assume they were just like we were those days. I'm sure there's people saying, you know, we got some big problems in this fellowship, and he sends his youth assistant here. That's not going to do anything. He has no authority. <laughs> you know, I would assume they'd be very much like that. But anyway, he tells Timothy, hey, how, how do I, how do you keep these people from despising you? You need to demonstrate your maturity by your life. Show them he's he's a he's a mature believer, even though he's only thirty five or so. And he says to um, it says, but be an example. That word for be is a present imperative in Greek, and it actually means to continually do this. I, I don't know that just always never ceases to make an impression upon me. Is the idea of continually do this? I guess because we don't have that in English, we have to say that we don't have a a word where you can where you know that just from the word. And uh, But he says, be an example in these, continually be an example in these six areas. And the first one's in word. In word, of course, is what comes out of our mouth, uh, what we say. And that'd be both negative and positive. Uh, lying, backbiting, gossip, uh, discouraging comments, put-downs, uh, complaining, foul language, all those things. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's always complaining, it's old, especially if it's a believer, but I mean, it's, it's just not, you know, not enjoyable, so I don't listen to that all the time. They say that the meanest member of every church is the tongue. I think that's true. <laughs> you know, it is the meanest member. And, uh, you know, that old adage we said when we were kids, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's absolutely false. I think words hurt a lot more than getting hit, for sure. Uh, you know, I'm sure our moms always told us, uh, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. That's good good advice. J. Vernon McGee says that uh, some Christians, the only exercise they get is, put, is running down other people and jumping to conclusions. <laughs> I think he's right on that. And you know, the, you, you go into this text here and you, and you boy, this is a great text for other people. But you know, it's even a better one for me. <laughs> You know, we all need to be thinking about what's coming out of our mouth. And that's what's so interesting. You, know, you get into these these passages and as you think about it and, you know, the Lord starts speaking to you. And man, I just, it was real interesting as I was looking at this thing and 
uh, thinking about it, uh, the Lord said, you know, Mike, you, you could probably stand to think about this yourself, you know. <laughs> You know, it's just, you know, I don't ever, I don't ever start by saying, "Hey, here's some great gossip," or "Hey, I got some backbiting here." I never say that. When I'm around people I know, I'll just say so and so and slam them, and then they they would say, "Oh yeah, he is kind of a jerk," you know. And uh, you know, but what, what what just happened there? Is that was that necessary? No, it wasn't. Now sometimes, of course, if someone's denying scripture, that's a different thing. But most of the time, you know, most of the stuff we're saying doesn't need to be said at all. And uh, the Lord really spoke to me about uh, watching what comes out of my mouth. But uh, also here, it's it's the good. It's positive, telling the truth, uh, encouraging words, building up people, uh, being thankful, giving out compliments. I remember when I, I got saved in a... Well, I got saved in college, but I was lived in a small town in Iowa, and there was a Christian bookstore there. And also she went to our church, and... She uh, was a real uh, encourager. And I just remember, I just always enjoyed being around her. And I wondered, you know, when she passed away, I wondered why I missed her so much, you know, because I thought, well, you know, it's not like I knew her that well. But, you know, everything I did was just amazing. If I had a quiet time, I'm practically like Paul, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just, and she was really an encourager. She was definitely an example of this text. And I really missed her when she passed away. So being an example in what we say, what we don't say, and what we do. Uh, my coworkers, who you saw up there, uh, they worked for 26 years in Suriname. And when they were there, they had a, another lady they worked with. It was, I thought was pretty, uh, pretty outstanding example. She, uh, you know, they would, like we do many times, they started to say something negative about somebody and she would immediately take up for them and say, well, you know, maybe, you know, she's having a bad day or whatever. And he said he did that about twice, and then you kind of, kind of got embarrassed because, you know, she didn't participate <laughs> in his gossip or whatever, you know. And, and so he, he said that was her reputation with everyone. And everyone just stopped gossiping with her because you weren't going to walk away feeling good <laughs> about it. You know, you're going to get busted, you know. And uh, she didn't do it in a holier-than-thou way. She just didn't participate. I thought, wow, what a great reputation to have. And uh, it just, you know, outstanding. And uh, but he says also, be an example in how you live, in your conduct in general. Living out consistently what we believe. You know, everyone despises a hypocrite. A life of integrity and honesty. You know, how do I handle money, time, and priorities? What's my attitude about possessions? You know, when you, when you catch a glimpse of that, you really start to know someone a lot better, you know? Uh, <clears throat> We have that old saying that we all joke, jokingly say, do as I say, not as I do. But as a believer, we need to be saying, do as I say and as I do. Yeah. Uh, the most important thing is that we model it. Uh, uh, Paul said, the things you have learned and received and heard of me, practice these things. So do what I do and what I say. That's what we need to do. Also, be an example in, in love. First um, Corinthians 13, 4-7 tells us a lot of what love is not. You know, it's not puffed up, it's not envious, uh, doesn't parade itself, uh, you know, not self-serving. And if we were to define it positively, most of the time we, we define it by the fact that Jesus was the example of agape love. You know, he, he sacrificed for us. It's doing what's best for other people, even when it requires a sacrifice. It's actually, uh, putting other people's interests above your own. 
If you really understand that word and you get into those marriage texts, I really think the guy got the rougher deal on that because he says to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, who can do that? It's not possible. It's uh, very difficult because we're by nature selfish. <laughs> we don't want to put someone else's interests above our own, but that's what he's uh, commanding us to do. Uh, Dr. Tim Kimmel says, love is a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests regardless of the costs. Another aspect of this word is it means to love the unlovable. Romans 5.8 says that while we, are, while, we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it was really interesting because there's a particular person in Holland that I visit. It's not a very pleasant person. Uh, not open. To, used to be open. We, I've known him for 20 years. But over the years, it's become more closed. And I kind of thought, you know... I really ought to not go visit this person where he's closed off to the gospel. He uh, kind of insults me all the time. And, you know, this type of, you know, I thought, you know, why should I go see someone like that? And other people would say, here, where's another time where I was saying this out loud? And everybody's going, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Don't see him. <laughs> you know? But, you know, as I studied this word and I said, uh, you know, I thought about, you know, that one of the meanings, aspects of agape is to love the unlovable. Well, all the reasons I had for not visiting this guy is he's unlovable. Well, <laughs> Love the unlovable, so that took care of that one. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's interesting because when you look at some of these word lists where it talks about different character qualities that we need to grow in, um, the one word that always comes in all those lists is love. Real interesting, and uh, I think one reason for that, of course, is you know John thirteen thirty four and thirty five says it's how we demonstrate that we're a follower and a disciple of Christ, and so it's so uh, important. One of the books that I really enjoyed reading, uh, and I try to read actually uh, fairly often, is uh, by Randy Alcorn, The Grace and Truth Paradox. It's just a little short book. You can read it in one hour. It's not. It's nothing super profound. But what he says is, you know, John 1.14, Jesus is both grace and truth. And if I'm going to be like Christ, i got to be both grace and truth. And he says, you know, if it were just truth, we're a Pharisee. Who wants to do that? And of course, if you're just grace, then you're compromising God's word. That's not good either, obviously. So we want to hold both in balance. And of course, everybody would say, well, I agree with that. I, I would like to hold both. But he really suggests kind of going really, uh, doing a lot of thinking and uh, creatively thinking, how can I demonstrate love? Because, you know, with our with our stance on a lot of issues, they're already saying that we're hate people, you know, we're hating them. So how can I go out of my way and demonstrate love? And show that I also have high love, you know, and this guy just gives examples like some people were uh, protesting. Uh, they were, uh, again, uh, for abortion and uh, protesting and they went out and served him with coffee and donuts sincerely. And then one guy came to Christ. So it's just kind of a, you know, kind of thinking out of the box there and because everybody's going to say I agree with that. But, you know, are we really showing it? I think that's a, another issue. So. Uh, so being an example here in word and conduct in love and also in spirit, uh, this word here uh, can also re- uh, refer to the Holy Spirit, of course. But uh, in this context, he's talking about human character, the inner man, most likely uh, talking about our devotion, our affection for God. Uh, John Piper defines worship uh, not only as singing and praising God, but satisfaction with God. I just thought that was an outstanding definition because I can always be satisfied with God and therefore I'm always worshiping God because I'm satisfied with God. I just think that's a good definition.
You know, I thought about this because uh, I'm sure that you all have the same problem that every church in the world has, and our little church in Holland has, is how can I take, how can I get those teenagers who are living out the faith of their parents to live out their own faith? That's where we want them, right? And where they're coming to church not because you tell them they have to go, but because they want to go. And uh, how can you do that? Well, you know, obviously we encourage, you pray, and... Uh, I've asked God if maybe you could get, let me choose for him, but that, uh, that's not going to work, probably. <laughs> so, uh, you know, other than that, just model, you know, and, and I think here, if, if they see what's it look like to see someone that loves Jesus seven days a week and modeling, I think it's attractive when we're loving Christ seven days a week and modeling, but obviously, ultimately, they have to choose if they're going to walk with God or not. That's a, that's a, nothing we can uh, do other than that. But model it is important. Also in faith here. Uh, faith is being uh, is trust and reliance on God's word. Um, but what do we do when things don't go our way? You know, I, I think, uh, you know, I think at times like that we find out how much we really trust God. Uh, <clears throat> in James 1-3, it says that God allows us to go through difficulties to develop endurance and to grow to maturity. So instead of asking, why me? A better question is, how can I react in a way that brings the most glory to God? That's a much better question. And how might God use this situation to change me? Because no matter what happens, the reason God allowed that to happen, he definitely wants to see something happen in your life. That's just the way it is. I I was at someone's house not too long ago, and it's, you know, and they were, this is a person who's had a problem with that bipolar and uh, they're getting to age now where it's the medicine is not working anymore. So she's really having a lot of difficulty. And she's just saying, you know, she's kind of from a Pentecostal background or whatever. And so she's been doing a lot of stuff with them. And, and she says, well, do you believe God heals? I said, yeah, I, I believe God heals. I, I pray for God to heal every day. I said, I pray for God to heal you every day. And uh, But I said, I don't see any guarantee I said, it's only at the resurrection that we're guaranteed healing. Everybody's going to be healed at the resurrection, as far as I can see, but uh, not here on earth. And, I, and she says, well, you know, it just seems to me like, how could it not be God's will because I can't take care of my family? And, and I said, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know uh, how to answer all those things. I said, but I do know. But I think you're underestimating how powerful of an example that is when even when you're in a tough situation like that, you stay, uh, continue, you stay uh, faithful to the Lord. And you trust in him. I said, that's an incredible testimony to other people. Because it, it's, it's just like Joni. It's like another level, you know. <laughs> and you say, wow, okay, that's amazing that this person loves the Lord and they have such a, a tough, uh, a tough uh, situation in their life. Just staying faithful. C.H. McIntosh says, never view God's love through your circumstances. View your circumstances through God's love. Good advice. Good advice. And uh, the last area to be an example in is purity. And uh, you know, this, of course, is a sexual conduct, so both thoughts and deeds. Interesting, I just happened to see uh, Laura Ingram had a real interesting segment on her show uh, called The Pornification of America. It was real interesting just about this issue and how uh, just the impurity and how it's affecting kids and stuff. I thought it was... And I, I don't think the two people she had on there were Christians. They could have been, but it was kind of a medical and a psychological thing and, you know, kind of the damage that, that, um, 
a lot of the stuff that's going on in America and Western countries, how it, it affects children. And, you know, it, it, I guarantee, I, I absolutely agree that in many countries where they don't have freedoms, that it's very tough to walk with God. I 100% agree with that. But I, I think in the area of purity, that there's no tougher place in the world to walk with God than Western countries. Because <laughs> it's just basically saturated everywhere. And uh, it's really a battle for the mind. And, uh, you know, Romans 12.2 tells us to renew our mind with God's word. Philippians 4.8 says practice substitution. Uh, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any virtue and if there's anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So replace it with something good. Now, if, if you want to stop thinking about elephants, you can't say, so stop thinking about elephants. You're thinking about elephants while you're saying that. No, start thinking about crocodiles. So replace it with something else, you know. Uh, you know, I really like that passage, 2 Corinthians 10.5, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I just love that. It's a really powerful image, taking that thought and making it captive to Christ and replacing it. Another brother mentioned to me that what he finds really helpful, and I found it helpful as well, it's just praising God. It's to begin to praise God. And again, that's replacement because you're thinking about something else. <laughs> and that's much better. So, But it's a battle for the mind. I always liked uh, my favorite title for one of the books on victory over sin is Leroy Iam says, No Magic Formula. And I think that's absolutely correct. You know, there isn't any magic formula. It's a matter of, uh, of, uh, of continuing to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit moment by moment and saying no. And uh, in the power of the Spirit. That's not easy to do. Verse 13, he says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. And again, this is a present imperative, so he says continually give attention to these things. Now, if you if you just looked at this and you didn't know the context, you'd think it was talking about Jesus coming back. But no, it's Paul. Remember, Paul sent him to... To Ephesus, while he went to Macedonia, he says, now while, and so until I come back, Paul's planning on coming back there, he says, I want you to, uh, continually do these three things. Uh, I want you to give attention to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. And now the reading here would be public reading. And you think, you know, why would that be so important? Well, remember, back then, they did not have what we have. Nobody had a Bible like this. Real nice, fantastic, easy to carry, even though it's a study Bible, still easy to carry compared to what they had. They had scrolls, and you had to pay somebody to copy those scrolls, and most people could not afford that. So they obviously would have one at the fellowship, but other than that, it's an oral culture, so a lot of these people had to memorize God's Word, and maybe had certain a small thing written down, I don't know. But uh, this would have been for reading during the assembly, and of course it's important today, and it was especially important then when they didn't have a Bible to be able to read at home. Um, <clears throat> also, um, exhortation to urging people to do uh, what God says. Um, hearing alone uh, never changed anyone. You know, hearing needs to turn to heeding. And he says, I also want you to continue in doctrine, teaching the correct and refuting this false doctrine. Remember, there's a false teaching going on there in Ephesus. So these things... One thing I particularly like about Timothy is there's an emphasis here on doctrine. A lot of times when we think about walking with God, we say, you know, I want to love God with all my heart. And that's absolutely true. 
but we need to love them with our mind too. <laughs> and uh, you know, what does the Bible teach on issues? It's important to know. It's not just loving them with all of our heart. So our mind too. He wants all of us, not just part of us. Verse fourteen: Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you uh, by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. In First uh, Corinthians twelve seven and eight, we know that. Uh, uh, it says that the Holy Spirit places us in the body of Christ when we when we trust Christ as our Savior. So He gives us our gift at that time. And I think what He what He's talking about here is probably what He's talking about in Acts thirteen one through three, where the Holy Spirit told the prophets to set apart uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, for to do the work of the ministry. I'm assuming He did the same thing with Timothy here, although it doesn't tell us that in Acts. But and at that time, He also told them what His gift was because. Uh, you know, you don't get a gift by someone's uh, with the gift of prophecy. Everybody's going to be placed in the body of Christ at the moment of salvation uh, by the Holy Spirit. And so, at that time, he was told what his what his gift was in the fellowship. But he's told here to continually use your spiritual gift in the fellowship. Very important. And then in verse fifteen, he kind of gives a little summary text here. He says, "Now, just like he did in verse eleven for the uh, six through ten. He says, meditate on these things. And these things refers back to verses uh, 12 through 14, which was be an example in word, conduct, love, faith, and purity, spirit. And it says, give attention to the reading, exhortation, and teaching, and to continually use your gift. He goes, I want you to think about these things. Meditate on them. Some translations, I'll translate this uh, practice, and it can be translated that. Because their thinking is, well, the whole point is so that other people would see it and they would see his maturity. But the problem is he says that in the very second part of the verse there. It says, give yourself entirely to them. So I think the the King James translation is better. Meditate. And, of course, it means ponder and think about. It says, you know, think about. Uh, I want you to think about these things. Spend some time thinking about this. And then I want you to give yourself entirely to doing them, to practicing them that your progress may be evident to all. Remember, he started this thing off by pointing out that he needed to demonstrate his maturity by his life. And so as he does, does these things, that uh, those around them would see, hey, okay, this guy's uh, maybe uh, a youth, but he's uh, a mature believer as well. And they would see that. <clears throat> and then he ends here in verse 16 with a warning about not falling away which he does also in chapter 1 and chapter 6. It says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. The word here for take heed uh, actually means to give attention to, pay, watch closely or pay attention to. So you do, he needs to do this with two things. Pay attention to my life and to my doctrine, or to personal life and public ministry. What's that mean? That means I need to continually pay attention to my personal walk with God and my teaching, both of those things, continually do these things. Asking myself, hey, where am I at today? Where is my heart today? Who's sitting on the throne? Those are pretty good questions to ask every day, <laughs> I think. And I think sometimes we can get through a day, even people like uh, Pastor McCoy and me who study the Bible, sometimes you're all thinking about how it applies to everyone else and you you know, thinking about how it applies to you, you know, that <laughs> happens. <laughs> so, yeah. But I mean, asking ourselves, you know, where's my heart at today? Who's on the throne here? And he says to continue in these things, in both of these things, in in my personal walk 
and my teaching. What I believe about the Bible, what am I teaching others? And then he says something really interesting here. The reason that he needs to do these good works is, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. You think, well, that doesn't make any sense. How can I be saved by good works? Well, he's not talking about going to heaven here. He's writing here to Timothy. Timothy's clearly a believer, and the people he's teaching are the believers in the fellowship. They don't need to get saved, and obviously they don't get saved by doing these good works. We're saved by just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the save here? Well, if you look at save, the, the more general or basic meaning is to deliver. And we got to look at the context to see what you're being delivered from. And the words used four times in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Well, there it's clearly talking about saving from hell, right? In 1 Timothy 2.4, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Again, this eternal uh, this uh, salvation in the sense of salvation from hell. But then 1 Timothy 2.15, Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. Well, women don't get saved by having kids, right? They have to believe in Jesus, right? Just like everyone else. <laughs> so it can't be talking about going to heaven there. you got some big problems. And unbelievable people that should know better. If you look at a lot of commentaries, because of the fact they've got this thing locked into their head, anytime you see the word save, it's going to heaven. They're doing jumping jacks and gymnastics and flips trying to make this mean go to heaven. It just can't mean that. It would be a contradiction. Fortunately, it doesn't mean that, and it's not a problem at all. you just got to look at the immediate context to tell us what she's being delivered from by having children. I think it's very clear there. And the same thing here. In, uh, in this passage here, what are we being saved from? Or what's Timothy being saved from and those who hear him? Well, the, the uh, first five verses are on false teaching. And a description of this false teaching. Then he goes in this exhortation to godly living. So, how can I be delivered from falling away from the Lord and from falling into false doctrine? Well, I need to continually pay attention to my personal walk and to my teaching. And if I do that, I won't fall away. And also those who are who I'm teaching won't fall away either uh, if I continually do these things. And so there we... Uh, and it ends up, of course, not with a contradiction. And uh, But it's, it's a very, uh, you know... Uh, interesting warning to Timothy, who is indisputably a believer, who's being told not to fall away. You know, so anyway, um, <clears throat> how do we, how do we, how are we able to uh, to uh, prevent that? Is I need to pay attention to my own personal walk daily and to what I'm teaching. So we look at this passage here. He tells us to continually be an example in what we say, both in positives and negative things. You know, to live consistently with the gospel, to uh, be an example in love, do what's best for others, even if it requires a sacrifice from me. Uh, be an example in spirit, in my attitude, my devotion for Christ. To uh, be an example in faith by trusting God, even when it's difficult. Be an example in purity in both my thoughts and deeds. Uh, continually give attention to public reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Uh, continually use my gift in the fellowship to continually meditate on these things and devote myself to doing them and to continually take heed to myself and to what you believe and teach others. So continually pay attention to my personal walk and be asking, you know, who's on the throne today? 
I think, uh, you know, if we want to get along with God, uh, we need to stay off his throne, right? <laughs> and that's, uh, to, <laughs> and that's essentially what he's saying here, yeah? Stay off his throne. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think one of the dangers sometimes when we look at a passage like this is we can walk away and say, okay, yeah, I, I need to be an example. Well, you're probably not going to do anything, <laughs> you know, if that's, if that, if you do that. I mean, I think I would uh, suggest to you and encourage you to do what verse 15 says. I would encourage you to meditate. I mean, really spend some time thinking about these passages and let the Holy Spirit give you specific applications, things you could be doing to be a better example. And there's so many areas we couldn't apply this in one day, of course. But I just like you already heard one of mine as I was going through this, the Lord reminded me that he could, I could sure think a little more about what I'm saying about other people. And, uh, and I think I would really encourage you to do the same, to walk through this thing and just take some time and, and think about it. Uh, and let the Holy Spirit tell you what you need to specifically do. Because the point of Scripture is to change our lives, right? And uh, if we don't take time to meditate and ponder, we're probably not going to change. Hearing alone never changed anyone. Hearing needs to lead to heeding. I uh, was at, at this uh, fellowship in uh, Kansas, and I just loved it. On the door, or above on the on the wall there, it said, service begins now. And I love that because, you know, a lot of times you think, well, when the sermon's over, you know, service is over. But actually, when the sermon's over, uh, service begins. Yeah? Amen, huh? Let's pray. Father, we do, uh, again, just thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us, Lord. And it's so exciting, uh, uh, your word. And I just ask, Father, that as we look at this passage, I do pray you would help us to meditate, think about this, that you would bring to mind specific application that we can be doing uh, that would change our lives uh, for eternity. We know, Lord God, that that is your will. We know that's the point. Just pray, Father, that you would encourage us all as we think about this text. And again, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you for our eternal life. We thank you not only for uh, our eternal life, but the fact that you allow us to have fellowship with you on a daily basis. It's truly amazing, and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.